Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now, here's your host, Parker Keen. All right. We're live. We're back. Parker's MMA Show, episode 31. It is the 16th of April. And we got a lot to talk about this week. Um, Time is a social construct at this point, Parker. Time is but an illusion. Yes, it is. So we got a lot to talk about this week. Um, We're going to dive right in. But first, I want to just give everyone a reminder. Please like, subscribe, share, all of it. Help us out. Help us get the word out there. We're putting a lot of work into this, trying to make it better. Trying to pick up solid sponsors and keep the ball rolling. So, everyone, do your part. Help us out. We appreciate it. All right, Billy, let's jump right into it. So, I'm your host, Parker Kane. This is Billy Naden, the co-host, Corona Expert, and we're going to get right into it. All right, UFC 249. We're going to jump into the fallout real quick, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a possible event on May, May 9th? We don't know yet. So um, UFC 249 obviously fell through due to the coronavirus. Um, in the end, Disney and ESPN pretty much put the clamp down on the card and told Dana it was a no-go. Billy, what were the biggest lessons we learned from the roller coaster that was UFC 249? Uh, for me, the big takeaway is that you know, when you run towards regulation, when you want to be legitimate, when you want to be kind of part of the greater sports landscape, you give up your right to kind of be the underground or the boundary pusher or the, the person who's kind of willing to do things, you know, maybe not in the most legitimate way. And we saw it on full display. Like, you know, Dana was ready to go. I think if this event was happening 10 years ago and the pandemic was happening 10 years ago, we would have gone forward with it. I just think like with that level of legitimacy comes also a level of, uh, you know, having to follow the rules. And and I think we saw that on full display with 249. All right. So obviously the last three, four weeks have been crazy, just up and down drama everywhere. What in your mind were some of the darkest and maybe most bizarre moments from this whole situation that you that was UFC 249. I think for me, what was most bizarre about it, honestly, is the kind of adversarial um, attitude that Dana White had against had about the whole thing. It was kind of like everyone's against us. Everyone wants to stop us from doing the right thing. You know, like a lot of like blaming like the DNC and like you know, a bunch of like really high up people that clearly don't care that much about MMA. Um, I I, I just thought that whole like kind of us against the world mentality was really weird to me considering, you know, how far we've come, especially in the past five years in terms of MMA growing as, as a really legitimate athletic entity. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. It's obviously Dana White, I think, just has to make some changes to the way he runs everything because, you know, with the move to ESPN and, you know, ESPN being, a, you know, owned by Disney, I, I just think there's going to be a lot more checks and balances for Dana where in the past there wasn't. And I mean, he could pretty much do whatever the fuck he wanted and get away with whatever he wanted. So I, I think it was a little bit of a humbling situation for Dana because that's really the first time that he's been 
just flat out shut down like that on something that he's been so dug in on. So that was kind of interesting to see that play out. There's a great article on The Athletic um, by Josh Gross about um, all the times that the UFC has canceled events. And it's like half a dozen times in 25 years. Like, this never, ever happens. The UFC does not cancel events for anything. I mean, if you remember, like, when we had the whole Vegas shooting um, a couple of years ago at the concert, like, the UFC ran a pay-per-view in Las Vegas, like, six weeks later. I mean, that was the New Year's, I think. New Year's card. It was, uh, it was the, the famous event is the, the mighty, uh, the mighty mouse, uh, armor oh, okay. of Ray Borg happened okay. that night. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I was at the second one, but yeah, you know, you're right. Um, so how much, if any lasting damage do you think this is going to leave on the UFC and Dana White, if he keeps trying to push through the, through and get events booked during this pandemic? And what do you think will will be the lasting effect of that. Um, I don't know that this does like lasting damage to the sport or lasting damage to Dana White. I actually think it's funny. Like everyone is really negative about this event. And then once the event actually got canceled, I felt like people were like, well, you can see what Dana's trying to do. You can see why he's trying to put an event on kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think it it brings to light a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff where we kind of think as Dana White has no one to answer to, and it's very clear now that he does. Um, but in terms of lasting damage, I mean, he's always been kind of seen as a renegade. He's seen as someone who will do anything possible, you know, anything to, to keep, keep the train moving, keep the UFC rolling. So I don't know that that changes. And then... Anyone who thought that this was like a ruthless underground blood sport is still going to think that today. And I don't think this changes things one way or another. Um, I haven't talked to a lot of casual fans who kind of think negatively on the sport for trying to do this, to be honest. Do you think it's even to the casual? Like, is it even on their radar that Dana's trying to do this during all the craziness? You know, it, it was covered by major sports outlets and, and people were talking about it, certainly. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard kind of both sides of the story, like from casual fans, like from everything from what is Dana thinking to I admire him trying to move forward and trying to find a way to make it work. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think it was on some people's radar. Um I just don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know that it's doing any kind of lasting damage. All right, so what are your thoughts on the possibility of us having an event on May 9th? And if so, where do you think the most likely location is going to be? I actually think it's it's fairly likely. And you know I was someone who was telling you from from the get-go, like, there's no way there's a fight happening on April 18th. I have a lot more positivity about this one. I'll tell you why. The Apex and the UFC Performance Institute is really set up to be able to host uh, fanless MMA fights, right? And it's set up to kind of be able to do that in a safe way. So if the Nevada State Athletic Commission meets and comes up with some sort of protocol to deal with um, 
hosting combat sports events in the midst of COVID-19, um, you know, I, I see a lot of ways that the UFC would be able to actually pull this off, especially with having all this residential uh, space available with all the Vegas hotels empty. So I, I think it's I think it's very possible that this happens. All right. So um, on the May 9th event, you're saying you think the most likely place is going to be the Apex? Because I've I've heard Dana say specifically that Tai Chi Palace in California is set up like that was ready to go for this weekend. Um what do you think the plans are for the next couple of cards they're going to try to hold? Yeah. So I think they're going to hold cards. My, my thinking is they'll hold cards at the apex. Dana has some, uh, my guess is some sort of inkling of when, uh, this Nevada state athletic commission will, will uh, meet next. I think the problem with the, the Tachi palace that makes it difficult is your closest hospital from there is 40 miles away California has a lot stricter stay-at-home measures and has been a lot more affected by stay-at-home measures than Nevada has. Um, and you're you're talking about a casino that I mean it's it's been closed to the public for a while now, but at the end of the day, it's it's like a very public place. Whereas the Apex is a very controlled environment by the UFC, they know how to operate it. Um, I think there's there's probably a chance that it goes to Tachi Palace. I think there's a chance that they do it somewhere in Florida, um, and they have those as backup plans. But I I really think the plan A and and really the 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 top priority is to have it at the apex. Yeah, I agree. If they could establish just a solid safety protocol, they've got everything they need there. I mean, they could build bunk houses to sleep the fighters. They've got chefs, professional chefs there, trainers. I mean, rehab equipment, all the training, training tools. Um, I mean, that would make me feel better, too, about the actual training that the fighters are getting. That was one thing I was a little hesitant about going into UFC 249, especially like with Khabib or Tony and Justin. It's like, what kind of training camp do they get with all this shit going on? If they decide to make the apex, I mean, the hub for fights for the next three months, everything is there. So they could figure it out logistically where everyone can get as normal as possible training in and not jeopardize the quality of fights. Well, and, and here's what's different there versus trying to hold a fight at, at Tachi Palace on April 18th. You're looking at a, a situation in Nevada where currently they have one of the lowest death tolls per capita from uh, the coronavirus in the entire United States. It's not a hard hit area. And according to that IMHE model out of the University of Washington, which, you know, is something that a lot of people have cited, the White House is using it apparently to model their recommendations. Um, Nevada's peak hospital resource state when they would be using the most hospital beds was supposedly April 18th, and their peak deaths supposedly happened on April 7th. So if we go off that model, there's a good chance that by May 9th, we're way past the peak and we're looking at, you know, a potential reopening of Nevada by that time and, and starting to look at how do we come out of this? How do we come out of quarantine? So to me, this just this whole situation with Nevada, with the apex, with the way that the, the timing of 
of the uh, of the event versus the the peak of the pandemic. It, it really just has so many more things going for it than the April eighteenth date in Tachi Palace had for for me personally. Okay, so currently, where are you at on? Do you think Dana White and them should keep pushing forward and just keep, you know, trying to get these events rolling? And do you think May 9th is the earliest possibility? So uh, I think the May 9th date came about because Dana knows something about when the athletic commission is going to meet. If Dana can get a protocol for hosting combat sports events in Nevada approved by an athletic commission, like I think he has full full support from me to move forward with this. And I will feel confident in the safety of the fighters and the safety of the event and, and feel like it's a legitimate event moving forward. Because if you're hosting at the apex, you're not talking about the UFC self-sanctioning or using a tribal commission or basically trying to skirt the rules. Like this is all very above board and it's, it's really done with, with the utmost safety protocols in mind, as safe as you possibly can be with a cage fight during a pandemic. So is the commission set to meet in the next couple of weeks? We, the public does not know this um, yet, but it, I would imagine if, if it's even coming up that they would potentially use the apex, Dana knows that the commission is going to meet um, okay. because that's the only way that they would be able to, to have that happen. Okay, my next question, if Dana's able to p- pull off this May 9th card and the UFC is UFC and MMA is the f- first sport back to action, what does that do for the company, the sport as a whole? Because in my eyes, I mean, MMA, combat sports in general, is the easiest sport to get back in action, you know, opposed to the team sports, baseball, hockey, you know, the NFL, NBA. There's just so many more moving pieces in those. So what do you think, if anything, this will do if the UFC, UFC is able to pull this off on May 9th for the sport? Yeah, the the only maybe two sports I would say would have an easier time than MMA, and it's simply based on the amount of contact, would be golf and tennis. Um, would probably have an easier time coming back. But I think MMA, if, if the UFC is able to pull this off, I think they open up the door for boxing specifically to also host events. I know Bob Arum has talked about potentially hosting events at the apex actually. So I could see that happening, but as far as the team sports go, I don't know that the UFC holding an event does much to move the needle for the team sports because number one, they don't really look to MMA as like any sort of a signal of um, someone they should take their cues from um, they, I think, consider themselves kind of above uh, MMA in terms of the hierarchy of sports in the country. And then the second part of it is you alluded to it, but when you have teams, when you're talking about, you know, 13 guys on a basketball team, 20-something guys on a, on a hockey team, you know, 30-something guys on a baseball team, you know, 50-something guys in football, you're you're really looking at a completely different scenario than what the UFC has where they, they can easily limit this to, you know, a select number of people who are really essential to make the event go off. My biggest thing is I just, I think if Dane is able to pull this off and we've got three months in a row of him putting on one to two fights a week, that's going to draw a lot of eyes to me, especially if him and ESPN play it right. Cause that's going to be the only thing on ESPN ESPN's, 
a giant commodity and that's that's going to get a lot of new eyes on the sport in my eyes and maybe make some of these up and coming guys you know bigger stars quicker than they would be it's it's certainly possible like it's not a uh it's not something out of the question i i go back to the fact that like ufc brasilia did not do stellar numbers on espn but it was also a hardcore hardcore card at at best if you get some of these big guys israel adesanya you know masvidal gaichi tony ferguson in front of a gigantic espn market i mean i think those guys could take off and that's nothing but good for the sport yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. I, I, you know, I think there's potential. I, I just think they need to get the the UFC needs to find some name commodity that they can advertise on this to get people to watch the other, you know, eleven or twelve fights on the card. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's let's move on to this card. Um, first, I want to start with the main event. So the UFC seems to be sticking with Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. Um, what are your thoughts on that? In my mind, after UFC 249 got canceled, I thought they were just going to scrap that idea and hold Tony for September, but it doesn't look like they are. It looks like they're moving forward with Justin Gaethje and Tony. And I don't, I don't, do you think they got a lot of fan interest after rebooking that fight? And that's why they decided to stick with it. Or they're just looking for a big fight. I I honestly have no idea because I think we've talked about this previously, but like neither Tony Ferguson nor Justin Gaethje is a huge draw, right? Um, yeah. And I just think the UFC, for whatever reason, feels like these guys have more drawing power than maybe they do. Um, so maybe that's why they're moving forward with it, but... Um, I just, I don't see, I don't get it. I really don't. I, I guess they're trying to think like maybe we can move the division forward with, you know, Habib probably on the sidelines until September, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that puts them in a kind of a sticky situation. Cause then what do you do with Connor? If you've got Usman and Masvidal booked, you got Tony and Justin fighting. What do you do with Connor until, I don't know. That was just a weird one. I I get the rest of the card. The rest of the card is awesome. But that one, I was excited for it on April 18th or 19th, whatever it was going to be. But I was kind of hoping they would have moved past that and held off Khabib. But let's let's dive into this card. We'll just run through it real quick. At the top, obviously, I just mentioned you've got Justin Gaethje taking on Tony Ferguson. In the co-main event, we've got... Henry Cejudo taking on Dominic Cruz. What are your thoughts on that one? Do you think that's real? Do you think that's real? Um, Henry's just getting, I mean, he's getting everything he wants. And like, other than the Ali Aldelaziz connection, I, I can't understand it for one second. Like, the guy has never defended either belt. Yeah. yeah. He's not a draw. I don't get it. I don't get I don't get how does Dominic Cruz, who's not even ranked, he's been out of fighting for two years, got absolutely smoked by Cody Garbrandt in his last fight two years ago. 
how does he come off the sidelines with all these killers at bantamweight and just get a get a freaking um title shot i don't get it i don't i don't get that one that one made zero sense to me i just think like he's kind of like universally considered the greatest bantamweight of all time um which with the whole tj dillashaw epo thing i i guess i get um but i i can't figure out why anyone thinks that's a good idea i don't get that so that's your alleged co-main event um featherweight title belt amanda nunez taking on felicia spencer we talked about this a little bit after this was originally booked but um i think if they're able to you know put a big card on it's a good idea to get amanda in front of a lot of eyes um she's so fucking terrifying so that's gonna be a dominant win i think for amanda and then bombs away uh heavyweight clash you've got rosenstruck taking on francis and that's an awesome fight. Someone's getting knocked out in that fight. Um, Jeremy Stevens versus Calvin Cater. We talked a little bit about that one. That's a great fight as well. You've got Cowboy and Anthony Pettis, which to me is a great matchup. Both of those guys. We've been calling really that fight for. We've been calling for that fight yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I don't. I when I went through the the rankings this week. Um, later on this episode, me and Billy are going to do kind of a deep dive into all the weight classes, but. Those two guys are kind of the odd men out at 155 and 170. Both of them, I mean, there's no one that's just that I'm, you know, calling for them to fight. So I, I think that's a brilliant matchup. Stylistically, that's a fun fight, especially if that's going to, I guess that would be maybe open the main card. Um, you've got Greg Hardy and Jorgen DeCastro. Someone's getting knocked out there. You've got Alexia Linick taking on former champ Fabricio Verdum. Um, that's kind of an interesting fight. fight. Old man grappling. You've got the, yeah, old man over 40 grappling league. Um, Carlos Barza, the cookie monster, taking on the karate hottie. That's a fun fight. Um, the one I was looking forward to on the on this weekend's card, Jacare taking on Uriah, Uriah Hall. My number That's one an awesome fight. Car, this is awesome my number fight. one fight. Yeah. I, I, I am more excited for that fight than I am for the Nganu Rosenstruck fight. Like I like of the non-title fights on this card, that is the most exciting one to me. Like those guys both bring it and can both knock you out. And like Jock Ray can submit you. I want to see what Hall looks like after he's had some time at Fortis um, down here in Dallas. Like that is a really exciting fight to me. I've got a banger coming up next. Luque, Vicente Luque versus Nico Price. That's going to be a fun fight. That's going to be a crazy fight. Both of those guys freaking bring it. Do you see the video of Nico Price taking like, I think it was like a, a lead pipe to the nuts in his Diamond MMA cup? That's awesome. Him and Tony Ferguson are very similar. Very strange guys, and they can hurt you from anywhere. Um I really like Nico Price. I think he, I put him down as my dark horse in that division. And then uh, Bryce Mitchell with his nuts stapled together, taking on uh, Charles Rosa. That's a good fight. Brock, Bryce Mitchell, that's a guy. I think he'll be a star in that division. He's got He's really good on the mic. He's a solid fighter, You know, young guy. Someone get in his damn camo shorts. Come on. He For a guy who like trains at a small gym in Arkansas and like yeah. kind of lives out in the sticks – 
He has unbelievable yeah. jujitsu, and that's usually something you only get if you've been at like a big camp and rolled with a lot of guys. And I think that was his story. When he was young, he took off, and I think he he might have went to Henzo's, like in New York City, or a couple big gyms like that. I remember him saying something like that. But he spent basically drove across the country and spent like a year at one of those gigantic gyms. So I, I think that's where he credits his jujitsu too. But that's a if they can keep that together, that's a really really fun card. And to bring fighting back, I mean, almost every fight on that card's a banger. That's a great card. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of like when the UFC put used to put on like twenty to twenty five events a year. Um, now they put on forty plus, and and obviously we talk about it all the time that you know it's kind of oversaturated. But this card is you know top to bottom, everything is good. Yeah, and I think if Dana can get on a roll and figure out a protocol to make these fights safe, we're going to see a lot of cards like this. It's just going to be week after week of. I mean, badass cards. So that's exciting. We'll keep you posted on that over the next couple of weeks. Um, my last question, and we kind of covered a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts on just Disney slash ESPN's involvement with the UFC? Obviously, we talked about before this. This is really the first time that Dana White has been shut down by a superior and really anything that he's ever wanted to do. So what are your thoughts about what it's doing for the company and you know how they're handling this pandemic right now. Like I said earlier, like when you want to be with the worldwide leader, like MMA is now, like you have to be totally above board, totally legitimate. And, um, I would much rather get the eyeballs that we get from ESPN from having the Stephen A's of the world talk about MMA than, you know, be on Spike TV or be on HDNet or whatever it might be, you know, one of these smaller uh, programs, I, I, I would much rather be on ESPN and have to do everything legitimately than the other way around. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last thing revolving UFC 249 and this upcoming card. What's the latest on Fight Island? So... Like, from what I've heard, it's supposed to be ready in a month, right? Or six weeks? That's what Dana said? Huh. Is there... There's no leaked information on the location or the island or pictures or anything yet? Um... So what I have heard from, uh... You know, sources kind of close to the vest, I guess is, you know, Dana is basically, like, building infrastructure on an island that somebody owns and um, setting it up to be able to host and broadcast fights from that island. I just think the thing that we have to remember as cool as, like, Fight Island sounds, like, don't forget the lessons of Firefest so quickly. Like, you know, you, you have to literally import everything. Everything. Like, you have to get generators if you want electricity. Like, you know, every single thing that you need to run a fight is needs to be brought onto that island, and then you need to bring all the fighters onto that island. Like, that can get very expensive very quickly. Um, so I have a lot of questions about if, if fights ever actually happen on Fight Island, but I do believe that Dana has secured an island and has started building infrastructure on it. I love Dana. He's the best. 
I I think it's even a cool thing, even if they just do it two or three times a year throughout the year, just to host fights. I mean, and soup it up, make it look like the Pro Bowl, something. I don't know. Just make it look cool. A little, little something different. It would separate them from the other organizations, Bellator and the PFL and Ryzen. You know, just be something different they could do and have a little fun. All right, Billy, you've got a read to do. All right, man. Well, you know, I know there's a lot of uh, uncertainty going on with the pandemic, but something that's not uncertain. Support for Parker's MMA show is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, like this bad boy, Parker, the Lawnmower 3.0. I know I've been using my Lawnmower 3.0 during quarantine to make sure my man parts are freshly groomed when I'm stuck in the house. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade that prevents manscaping accidents. You know what that means? No cuts. Nothing. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free because of Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. And you know what? If you're listening right now, I want you to experience this firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping, Parker. I'm giving you both. All you have to do is use promo code FIGHT on manscaped.com. That's right. 20% off, free shipping, and all you have to do is type in F-I-G-H-T, FIGHT, as your promo code on manscaped.com, and you will get this lawnmower, a bunch of other cool stuff, ball deodorant, ball toner. They had a toiletry kit. They got boxers. They got T-shirts. They got it all. Promo code FIGHT, manscaped.com. Parker, gotta gotta get on it. Gotta tell the listeners to get on it. Got to. All right, let's dive into segment number two. So, um, with not a lot of certainty around fights, me and Billy are going to try to mix it up the next couple of weeks and do some different stuff. So, this week we are diving into all the weight classes. Um, what are we going to do? One fifteen, women's one fifteen through lightweight this week. Through featherweight. So we're going all the way from women's 115 to men's okay. 140. And then next week we'll pick up and we'll get the rest of them. But um, what we're going to do is kind of make predictions. What's next for the champion? What we want to see next? Um, the most important contender fights that need to happen when everything gets up and running. Both of us are going to make you know, a prediction for who the champ's going to be in 2021. And then we're going to talk about who we think is the dark horse of the division. So... Billy, get us rolling with women's straw weight. All right. So with women's straw weight, I think there's three key uh, matchups that need to happen that kind of move the division forward, right? Um, the first one is we need to see the rematch of Zhang and, and Joanna. I think that fight is was one of the greatest women's fights of all time, probably the greatest women's fight of all time. We need to see a rematch. Very close decision. Um, think you could headline a pay-per-view with that, honestly. The second fight that we need to see is uh, a canceled one from this this weekend, but uh, Parker's favorite, Thug Rose, going up against Jessica Thug Andrade. Uh, trying to reclaim her, reclaim her title, avenge her loss. I think that's a very important one. And then the third one is... We need to get Tatiana Suarez back in action. We've talked about Tatiana Suarez as kind of a future champ in this division for a long time. And it's time for her to fight someone who's kind of in that top top five range. So 
I would like to see Suarez fight either Nina Ansaroff or Claudia Gedalia um, in her next fight and, and kind of solidify herself as the number one contender at 115. Uh, Parker, what do you think about those three matchups? I want Thug Rose back in the title title, title picture. I, I don't give a shit, really, to see Thug Rose versus Jessica Andrade again. I, I went back and watched that fight two weeks ago, and Rose just absolutely picked her apart. And it was one of the most unfortunate losses I've ever seen in UFC history. I would like to mix it up, and I want to see Rose to fight for the title next. She's been out. She, to me, is top two or three best women's fighter on the planet. I think she's right up there with Valentina and Amanda Nunes. So I want to see Rose go straight for a title shot. I want to see Joanna come back and get a win and then set up for a gigantic fight against Weiling Zhang or Rose. Um, for Rose, it'd be the trilogy. For Weiling Zhang, it would be the second fight of what I think is a top five fight of all time. Um, I think... I've changed my tune a little bit on this. I think it's just a little early to burn that fight. I want to see that build up again. I want to see Joanna just come out there and absolutely smoke someone, get her confidence back, and then just set up a gigantic fight, maybe at the end of the year at strawweight. So those were the two matchups um, that I want to see. I agree. Tatiana Suarez is, I mean, she's one of my dark horses in this division. She just, Hasn't been able to stay healthy. She's got a nagging, I think, neck or back injury that's kept her out. Um, when she's right, she's very, very scary and, to me, can take out anyone in this division. So if she's going to make a comeback, I would like to see her fight Andrade. And then let's kind of let those three girls you know, play it out. Because I, I think those are your best three fighters at strawweight, Weiling Zhang, Rose, and Joanna. So that's what I'm looking for. Who do you think fights the champ next? I think they booked the Joanna rematch. I think that that fight is so hot. I, I think it's it's the perfect fight to do. And um, I, I do. I actually think Rose needs uh, somewhat of a tune-up fight, or or at least something to kind of get her feet wet before she gets thrown to an absolute savage in Wiley Shang. I think Rose. She's said forever that she doesn't want to fight past thirty, and she thrives in the chaos. She grew up in a crazy chaotic environment. I don't know. She's just as cool as it comes under pressure when she's right. You know, she's got some mental issues and stuff, but I want to see her just thrown back into the fire. And if she can come back and beat Weiling Zhang, who everyone thinks is, you know, unbeatable right now, she would be right back on top of the world, I think. So Rose is my next title contender. Who's the dark horse in the division for you? For me, I, I'm going to bring up someone who I feel like we haven't talked to about in a while, but um, I think Cynthia Calvillo could could one day be champion of this division. Two two years ago, I was all over the all over her. You know, she was man, she was vicious when her first couple fights in the UFC. Wrestling background, I mean, she's five one and one in the UFC. Like, it's not like she's struggled. Um, Did she have a suspension know, or something? Years old. What? I think she had like a marijuana suspension or something stupid. Yeah, she had a marijuana suspension. Yeah. Um, she's been at Team Alpha Male, but she's apparently separated from them and is is looking at changing camps. Like, I would love to see her get with either a Henry Hooft or a Duke Rufus or a uh, Rafael Cordero. Frasa One of these Hobby. kind of Muay Thai. What? Frasa Hobby. 
Frost is a little too wrestling focused for me. I want to so? see her get involved with like a real Muay Thai focused camp. Okay. Really very up her striking. Even a Jackson Wink would be good for her, I think. And kind of marry that with her wrestling and kind of become this really dangerous striker at straw weight. Um, I think she's got all the athletic tools to to do it. So uh, who, did, who did you have as a dark, dark horse? If if Tatiana's healthy, she's my dark horse. If not, um, Rose. I think everyone sleeps on Rose because I don't know why. I think she's just been out of the limelight for the last year or so, and everyone kind of forgets how good she is. I mean, she absolutely she knocked out Yoana the first fight. I was there live, Madison Square Garden. That was crazy. And then she outstruck Yoana. I mean, decisively. That I thought in the second fight. So. In my eyes, she's still the best fighter at 155, or 115, sorry. And she's a huge superstar, and I think the UFC has maybe two or three more years to capitalize on Rose, and she's retiring. After that, she's done with the sport. So I think the time is now, and I don't think risking her getting slammed on her head again with Jessica Andrade is smart. I would like her seeing, you know, thrown right back into a title fight. Um... Do you see any super fights in this division in over the next year? We talked about this before. If they re, if they make the rematch, we talked about this after the Yoana Weiling Zhang fight. Um, if Weiling Zhang can go on a run, I would like to see her move up and fight Valentina. Um, I think Rose and Yoana are too small for Valentina, so that's really the only super fight I see. Um, in my eyes, the trilogy fight between Rose and Yoana is one of the biggest fights you can make in women's MMA. Period. So those would be yeah. the two super super fights I see. Yeah, I think if in order for me to be happy and, and want to see Jean go up and challenge Valentina, I think she needs to take out Joanna for a second time, Rose and Tatiana Suarez. And then if we look around and kind of say there's not really a contender here, I'm then comfortable with her going up to 125 to challenge Valentina. Yeah, I, I think Rose, Rose is the biggest question mark in that division. If she's right, I don't think anyone touches Rose. So that leads me to my next question, Parker. Who's champ January 1st, 2021? Doug Rose, 100%. 100%. Um, I have I have Zhang Wei Li. I was really impressed by her. I've I've now gone back and watched that fight, I think, four or five times now. And... I'm really impressed with her technically and think that she is probably the strongest and best conditioned fighter in that division. Um, and it doesn't, you know, usually when you have someone who's so good physically, they're not great technically, but she really held up against uh, Joanna. So I, I think she's going to actually be champ for a little while here. Yeah, that that's an interesting matchup. We saw what Joanna and Wei Ling Zhang looks like. The, her versus Rose to me is very, very interesting. You've got the power. And then you've got the incredible striking of Rose mixed in with the submission game and the movement. Rose's movement in that first round against Jessica Andrade is some of the best movement I've seen in the UFC, period. And she looked incredible. So it's interesting. It's a fun division. Um, hopefully it starts heating up here pretty soon. Let's move on to Billy's favorite division, men's flyweight. Um, key matchups we need to see? You go first. Yeah, so the the obvious one that needs to happen is Figueredo needs to fight Joe Benavidez again. Um, obviously, we saw that at UFC Norfolk. 
Um, but Figueredo missed weight and then knocked out Joe Benavidez. So we need to establish who the champ is at 125. Um, I think I have two other heards that are maybe a little outside the box, um, maybe a little hardcore, as Parker likes to call it. But, uh, you know, I, I think they're, they're definitely, you know, shots that need to happen. So my first one, Brandon Moreno um, fought at uh, UFC Brasilia against Juicy A Formiga, who at the time was, you know, the number one uh, contender at uh, flyweight. Moreno beats him in a split decision. It was a close fight. But um, in that time, uh, Cody Garbrandt has said that he is going to be moving down from 135 to 125 once he fights Rafael Asuncao. Um I want to see Brandon Moreno against Cody Garbrandt in a number it. one contender fight. Love it. Um, that's a fucking fight. Winner fights for the title. So yeah. that's one. And then my second one is real deep on the hardcore scale, but... Um, Juicy A. Formiga, the guy who lost to Brandon Moreno, who was the number one contender at flyweight forever, actually holds a win over Davison Figueredo. Um, I want to see him fight UFC newcomer Manel Cape, who is the rising bantamweight champ, who is signing with the UFC as a flyweight. Um, so he will be competing exclusively at 125 pounds in the UFC. I think that's a perfect fight for him to... Just right off the bat, you know, he wins that he wins that fight. He's probably going from his UFC debut to a title shot. I think that's the perfect uh perfect fight for him. No, I agree. Yeah, I didn't go that hardcore. Um I think I might have put him at in my dark horse category. But um for me, the only fight to make is Joey B versus Figueroa right now. Um I like I really like the one that you said. Um if Cody No Love comes down to flyweight, A, he's someone that can save the division. For sure. He could come in there and just start starching people at flyweight. One, two, three, four knockouts in a row. And he's the new king of that division. There's no one there. You know, um, Joey B's on the way out. Um, Manuel Cape would be interesting. But yeah, Cody Nolove, um, right now, I don't see a path for him back to gold at bantamweight. It's just too stacked. There's too many killers in there. and the road to the championship at 125 is pretty, pretty slim. He's won maybe for sure one fight away from getting a title shot. So that was the biggest one for me. That jumped off the page a couple weeks ago when I saw that. I was like, yes, that makes total sense. So, yeah, I want to see the rematch. And then I want to see Cody Nola versus whoever. I love the Brandon Marino fight. I think that would be a banger. They would freaking get after it. Um, who is your dark horse since... Ours are probably the same. My dark horse is Cody No Love. If he goes down to to flyweight, um, I he could starch everyone there. He's got knock tremendous knockout power. His boxing's incredible. Wrestling good. I mean, hopefully his mental. And really with Cody Cody Garbrandt's all mental. Every fight that he's lost, he's starched the guy, hurt him, and he tries to rush the finish, gets caught and gets finished. Back to back times in the TJ Dillashaw fight. And then who was the other one? Pedro Munoz that he fucking rocked. And then he rushed, he rushed to finish, try to get him out of there. It's just like a little pit bull, but he is so, he's so vicious and he's still a young guy. I think he's what? 27, 28, maybe. Yeah. So I think career wise, that's a genius move for Cody, Cody Garbrandt go down to flyweight, try to get the title 
run the show for a couple of years, and then he could do the number where he bounces back and forth and fights for that you know one thirty five belt. So Cody Nola is my dark horse. Yeah, so my dark horse is uh, to get real hardcore is Manel Cape, um, rising bantamweight champ. Grew up in Angola, uh, trained out of Portugal for a while. When he came in Ryzen, he was really a, um, you know, an athletic specimen, but very clearly did not know how to fight. And he's since moved to AKA Thailand, and I, I think he's made humongous leaps in his fight ability. I mean, he's he's a really dynamic striker. He's really good in the clinch. Um, he's got good takedown defense and really good movement around the cage. Um, I guess we've only seen him in a ring in Ryzen, but I assume that his, uh, his movement would, would translate. Um, you know, recently knocked out Kai Asakura on New Year's Eve in Japan. Um, he's fought Ian McCall. He's fought Kyoji Horiguchi. Um, I just think he's a guy who we don't have a good idea of what level he's at, but the difference between the Manel Cape I saw in the first Ryzen I watched him in versus today when he's been training at AKA Thailand is it's really a huge leap. And so I'm excited to see what he can do at, at 125 in the UFC. That's a really good sign for the UFC at 125. I think if they could get if they get him signed and then they get Cody to move down, that division is relevant again, I think. Um, all right. Who's your champ in 2021? Oh, let's super fights. We forgot about that. Any super fights you want to make in 2021? You hate. I want to see Henry Cejudo come down and defend this belt one time. I mean, just once. Like, I, I honestly, I want to see Henry Cejudo fight Joe Benavidez because Joe Benavidez beat Henry Cejudo. Like, it, it happened. We all saw it. So if Henry wants to be like King Henry and, you know, wants us all to think he's the best, you know, lightweight class fighter, um, He's got to defend that belt. And until he defends that belt, I have no interest in a super fight at 125. Yeah, I don't see any super fights happening. Uh, who's your champ in 20, January 2021? I think it's Figueredo. I, I think that guy's really good. I think he hits really hard. I think he's dynamic. I think he has good jujitsu. Um, and I, honestly, with the guys like Cape and Garbrandt, I have a hard time seeing them getting enough fights to get to that 125 title in the span of 2020. But I could I could see that title changing hands in Q1 of 2021. Um, but I, I just don't see it changing hands over the course of 2020. Did Cody say he's going to fight one more fight at 135? Yeah, so he's going to fight a Sun Sao, and then he's going to move to 125. So that was supposed to be on the Cleveland card, I think, the Ohio card. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think you're right. I think it's going to be a little early, but I'm a Cody Garbrandt fan. I'm rolling with Cody Garbrandt. I think if he makes that move down there, he's one fight away. I mean, you could talk him into an immediate title fight if Figueroa just goes in there and blasts Joey Benavides in the next you know, a couple months. Um, he's a big name moving down. So I could see them, you know, skipping the queue and not making him fight Brandon Moreno and just going straight in for a title shot. So I'm going to go Cody. No love. I think that's the biggest thing that can happen for the 125 division. And then a, a gigantic super fight you could set up is if Cody gets that belt and King Henry comes down to defend it. That's a giant, maybe in the first quarter of 2021, that's a giant fight. 
And I think Valentina's on the verge of being a big star, too. I mean, she's got it all. She sp- speaks like five languages. It was interesting today, ESPN put out a an MMA poster on, on the ESPN Instagram, and Valentina was at the top. It was Valentina, then Khabib, then Connor, then Stylebender. That was kind of interesting to me, but I don't know. I, I think these two girls are going to be on a very, Amanda and Valentina are going to be on a very similar trajectory for the next you know one or two fights. They've kind of been smoking everyone, and that's going to build a really big fight. So, I, you know, the contender fights, I think the contenders are going to sort themselves out. People are going to keep rising, but no one in that weight class right now is on Valentina's level for me. Um, the dark horse of the division, I still think, is Macy Barber. Um, she's 20, I think she's 20 years old. She just tore ACL against Roxana Modafieri, but um, she's got a lot of potential, and she could be the next coming you know, of Amanda and Valentina, I think. I think she's got it all. She's super athletic, and she's going to be a really big problem for a lot of these girls. So that's, you know, I think she's probably still six or so months away from being able to fight again, but that's my dark horse in this division. Yeah, for me, I think Jillian Robertson is someone to keep an eye on. Um, You know, I think uh, she's someone who... Is now training under Dean Thomas, so he's left ATT, and she's going to train privately with him. So I think that helps her. And you know, she's four and two in the UFC. She has the most fights at flyweight. She's only twenty four years old. Like she's really, really young, and has a lot, a long way to go. Um, but seems to be taking the right approach to her career, and has good people around her. I, I definitely think she's someone to watch. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, over the next 12 months, Jillian Robertson is going to beat Valentina Shevchenko, but I think it's someone who could be a mainstay at 125 for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, who is her other loss to? I know she lost to Macy Barber. She got finished by Macy Barber. Who else did she lose to? You know? Uh, she got finished by armbar by a Brazilian woman. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I liked her when we were breaking down her versus Macy Barber like four or five months ago. I, I like the tape on her. She's nasty. And I, I, I agree. I think she's got, she's got the look. She's, you know, good on the mic. She's got a lot of skills. So, um, all right. Super fights. I think we already covered this. Um, I mean, pretty much you and I want to see three fights or two fights, really Valentina versus Amanda or Valentina versus Wailing Zhang. Basically, I want, to see yeah. a man, I want to see Valentina go up, or I want to see someone come up to fight Valentina. Um, yeah. Don't really care who that is, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Your champion, I, I think this is, we both agree on this, champion 2021, uh, Valentina. Roxanne Oh. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, Valentina. It's the yeah. spy. Yeah, hands down, hands down. Um She'll have coronavirus figured out by then, too. <laughs> she, right. took, she took coronavirus out behind her barn in uh, Kyrgyzstan and shot that thing. Yeah, for sure. All right. Men's bantamweight. Um, a lot of fun fights to make here. Men's bantamweight is freaking murderous bro right now. It's crazy, crazy. Um, okay, the contender fights that you want to make, go ahead. All right. So here's, here's how I would match this up, right? So I would I would rebook Frankie Edgar against Corey Sanhagen at 135. Um, you know, it was the it was canceled off of UFC Raleigh after Edgar stepped in to fight the Korean zombie in Korea. Um, 
So I want to see that fight. I, I think it's a good fight. I think it's a, a really helpful fight for Corey to build his name, and I want to see it. Um, my number one contender fight. I want to see Piotr Jan fight Aljo Sterling. I think that's a perfect fight. I think it's basically striker versus grappler. It's Russia versus USA. Um, you know, I think it's perfect. And then the fight that I, I think we're not talking enough about, but I want to see is Marlon Moraes against Jose Aldo rebooked uh, in a rematch. Like, very close fight. Clearly a controversial result. Clearly Moraes is not getting a shot at Cejudo. And Aldo getting a shot at Cejudo is very controversial. Let's just have them fight again. We do immediate rematches all the time for much fights that were not nearly as close. So I want to see it again. Let's see it. Yeah, I didn't think of that one. That's a great one. Um, I went kind of the opposite direction. I went um, Jan versus Marias. I don't know. I just, I like that matchup. Jan versus Marias, striker and striker. And then Sterling versus Sanhagen. It's just the two funky styles mixing up. I don't know. I just, I, I think that would be good fights. And basically you got a four man tournament to get the next shot at the, at the title. I think at this point, Frankie Edgar, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any interest in him making a run at that title. I don't think, I think he's a little over the hill in my opinion, but um, those are the, the two fights I wanted to make Jan versus Marias. Um, you could do Frankie Edgar versus Jose Aldo. Yeah. I've already seen no? it though. And it's yeah. ugly. Yeah. Well, Jose Aldo doesn't throw leg kicks anymore. So, all right, let's get into this. Uh, I, we talked about it a little bit, but I, I see no possible rhyme or reason Dominic Cruz should get a title shot off a two-year layoff after getting embarrassed by Cody Garbrandt. It's very simple to me. Like Henry Cejudo is represented by Dominance MMA, Ali Abdelaziz. Clearly, Ali Abdelaziz is the only guy who's not like in the government or a Disney executive who could tell Dana White what to do. And they wanted Dominic Cruz. They wanted Aldo first, and if they can't get Aldo, they'll get Dominic Cruz. They believe he's the biggest possible name that they could fight. And so that's what they're doing. Yeah. No, I mean, I see for, for King Henry, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, he's basically just sniping out legends. Took out T.J. Dillashaw. So if if Dom Cruz wasn't the best bantamweight of all time, T.J. Dillashaw's right there. Then he takes out, who do you take out next? Uh, Marais. Why, am I, why am I blanking? Marais, Marais. but he did it yeah. because, well, he took out uh, Demetrius Johnson. As That's right. Before Sorry, he TJ. took out Mighty Mouse, then TJ, then Marais. Then he's going after Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz. If you put that four-fight win streak together, it's pretty unbelievable. We can talk all the shit we want about King Henry, but taking out those four guys in succession is pretty damn impressive. It, look, it is impressive. And, like, Dominic Cruz, I know he's been out a while, but, it, I mean, he's, he's still a great fighter. I mean, he's a great technical fighter, too. Like, he's never been overwhelmingly athletic. So, you know, I'll give Henry credit if he beats Cruz. Um, I do think he's he's ducking the, the top contenders, though. But that's you could, you could do that, say that about basically any division in the UFC. Yeah. Um, all right, so who's your dark horse? So um, to continue with my deep dives into these divisions, um, 
We need a hard, really like hardcore Dom. ticker. Um, he's three zero and one in the UFC. He's unbeaten in eight fights. He's twenty two years old. A Chinese guy who trains at a team alpha male. He hits like a damn truck for a one thirty five pounder. He's got good counter punching. I really like Song Yudong, and I think like he's at a perfect place for a guy his size to learn wrestling, which is often the the hole in the international fighters game. I, I think he's got a chance to be a really complete guy, and he's clearly got the the striking and punching power to be a force at the division. So I really like Song Yudong. Sugar Sean's my guy. I I don't think he's gonna rush and take fights that he's not ready for. But I think he's one to two fights away from breaking into that top 10. And he's a guy that's, I mean, he's a six foot tall bantamweight with crazy striking. His jiu-jitsu has gotten really good. Um, obviously highly, highly marketable. I, you know, I think he could be a huge superstar. So Sugar Sean was mine. Um, Marlon Chichovera, I like him. He's just nasty. Um, I would like to see him and Sugar Sean fight, actually. Um, so that that's a guy that, that was booked before yeah. the, uh, Osterine. Thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing them run it back. And then Cody, Cody, no loves kind of, and he's, he's a guy that if he could put it all together, he's still in my eyes, he could be champ. He's just one of those guys that something is just off, you know, mentally where he just can't get over the hump and he's his own worst enemy. So I still think he's a problem, especially if he gets that confidence back that he had against Dominic Cruz um, on his rise to being a champ. Um, but yeah, so what? who's your champ 2021? I got Peter Yan. I, I think Peter Yan is a very complete fighter. I, 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 looked, I, I was so impressed. I rewatched the Faber fight, and, and I'm so impressed with Yan's ability to not just strike with Faber, but hit like judo tosses on Uriah Faber. I mean, he's a really complete fighter. He's really, he's brutal. He's a combination puncher. He doesn't rely on any one skill. Um, I just, I think that guy's really, really good. And I think if he gets a shot against any single one, any one of these guys, he beats him. I just don't see who beats Piotr Jan at this point. I'm going to roll with King Henry. I know his stick is, I mean, it's very similar to the Cody Gar or sorry, Colby Covington situation. I think everyone kind of overlooks how tough that guy is. I mean, what he went through in that first round against Marlon Marais, he just walked right through it and came back and won that fight. He's, he's tough. I mean, and super, super athletic, super talented. I, I think, even though how cringy he is, I, I just think he's he's going to hold this title for a little bit until we see Sugar Sean or someone like that rise up and you know exceed you know just go to the next level. I I don't see P- Piotr Jan or Aljamain Sterling beating him. Um, Corey Sanhagen's an interesting guy. I really like Corey Sanhagen, but I think it's still maybe a year, year and a half away until he has real title hope. So I'm going to go with King Henry. Um, I uh, I think Dom Cruz could beat Henry Cejudo. Do you really? Really? I really do. I I think he's got a really good style to fight Henry. I think like the herky jerky striking would be really hard for Henry's style. 
to be honest. I think Henry's used to fighting much more fluid fighters. Yeah, that that's why I like Corey Sanhagen. He's got a very, very similar style to Dominic Cruz. Very similar. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with King Henry. Um, any super fights you want to see in 2020? I actually think this... Uh, weight class is the most likely of any weight class in the UFC to be involved in a uh, super fight. So I could see a 125er moving up. I could see a bantamweight champion moving up to fight at featherweight, especially what if Volkanovski is champion. Which 125er? Well, if Figueredo is still... Uh, if he beats Benavidez and maybe gets one other win, one other defense under his belt, like... I could see him wanting to go fight Henry Cejudo. I mean... Yeah, I, I think Cody Garbrandt's the one. If he can get in there and get that title, he can set up some gigantic super fights. He's got the name, his former champion. I just don't think, after seeing you know, how Henry is pe- playing this, basically just going after legends, I don't think he's going to take a fight with Davidson Figueroa. But um, no, I agree. I I think this division is primed to move up or down, and there's just so many options, and... It's craziness. Well, and like, okay, so, you know, there's four guys here who I think could, like, very realistically become champion soon who would all be huge draws for a super fight. So, Henry, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, and Dom Cruz, any of those guys get involved, like, I could see them, you know, either a 125 or moving up or them moving up to fight at 45 and trying to get either get their belt back or get a second belt. Mm-hmm. I see Henry going up for a third belt. I could definitely see that happening. I don't know. Not when he loses to Dom Cruz, though. I love Dom Cruz. I hope Dom Cruz knocks him out. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to Billy's second favorite weight class, women's bantam weight, where we've got the champ, the GOAT, Mike Tyson of uh, women's MMA. Amanda Nunes is the current champ. What are some key matchups that you want to see in the next year? So uh, my first one is a fight that was already booked um, that I view as a number one contender fight at 135. I think whoever wins this fight is fighting for the title next. Um, Juliana Pena, the Venezuelan vixen, uh, taking on Aspen Ladd. I know Ladd got uh, knocked out by uh, Jermaine Duran to me, but I think that's a really good fight. I I think Ladd is, you know, as close to an up-and-comer as we have in in this division, and Pena's obviously got great jiu-jitsu and is a great fighter, and so I want to see that fight. Um, The second one I want to see is, Irene Aldana, who recently knocked out Ketlin Vieira, who was kind of supposed to be the heir apparent at 135. Aldana knocked her out. I want to see her fight either Holly Holm or Jermaine Duran to me. You know, the the last two victims of Amanda Nunez. Um, I want to see them play gatekeeper a little bit and see if Aldana can do it. And then Raquel Pennington, um, who lost to, lost to Nunez, I want to see her fight Ketlin Vieira and start to round out that top five and kind of figure out um you know as some of these contenders age out of of the division like wh- where are we at exactly with who our top five women at, at 135 are right all right so next for the champ we've got felicia felicia spencer um thoughts on that fight it's at 145 which i think does help um spencer's obviously a great grappler um so that'll be a little bit different. I know we saw some of um, Amanda's grappling in 
the GDR fight. Um, we've seen it at UFC 200 in the Misha Tate fight, but um, Spencer, I think, is is kind of a grappling first fighter, which is maybe a little different for Amanda to fight. Um, but I just don't see Felicia having a chance. I, I don't know who does have a chance even. Um, but I, I, I'm I'll watch. I mean. You'll watch her starch these poor women. Um, all right, dark horse in division. I I said Amanda is the only horse. Um, I so number one, I I, I would like to see Amanda fight uh, another one thirty five title defense before booking that super fight against Valentina. We've talked about a million times. Um. I still think there's depth in this division. I think there's women who will give her problems. You know, I think it was a dominant decision win against GDR, but she didn't finish her. Um, so I, I do want to see it. Uh, my dark horse, though, Macy Chasson out of uh, Fortis MMA here in Dallas. I, I, I keep giving these guys love, but Macy is 4-1 and one in the UFC. She's only 28. I think she's had eight total pro fights. I think she's had 12 fights total, 12 or 13 fights total, including amateur. She's got a long way to grow, a long way to go. She's massive for this division. She has really good technique for someone who hasn't been training MMA this that long. Um, I just look at her as someone who athletically really could challenge some of the girls at the top of this division. So that's my dark horse, Macy Chasson. All right. Who's your champ in 2021? It's still Amanda Nunes. I mean, until someone gives Amanda Nunes like trouble where I'm like, wow, Amanda was in danger. Um, I'm going to keep picking her. All right, uh, let's move on. Are we done? Or are we doing one more? We got one. We got, well, we have one more weight class, two genders, <laughs> two genders. Here we go. All right. Come down this home stretch here. Women's featherweight 145. Billy, get into it. So the the things I'm looking at are Megan Anderson is going to probably fight, you know, whatever newcomers the UFC brings into this division. Um, so that'll be interesting to see her develop, see her grow. I mean, her length and her, uh, you know, kind of athletic ability sets her apart. And she looked really good as a striker in her last fight. So I'm interested to see her growth. And then the second part of this is Cyborg versus all of Bellator. Like, how many title defenses can Chris Cyborg rack up in Bellator before the entire MMA world is clamoring for a cross-promotional fight? Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting subplot of all of this. Obviously, Felicia Spencer's next for Amanda Nunes, and so we'll see um, there. And then uh, my dark horse here is kind of a twofold, I guess. Not a specific person, but... I think a dark horse here is I think Bellator has a better 145 pound division than the UFC. You think so too, Parker? Yeah, I mean, I just with especially how Cyborg looked in her last fight. I don't know, and it's weird. But talk a little bit about the depth they have. Cyborg and who did she just fight? Julia Budd, who's very good. Julia they have Budd, Irene yeah. Blenko, who's very good. Um, Leslie Smith. Um, Who's a former you UFC know, they fighter? Have more women who I would put in that top ten category. Yeah, I just I still think you've got Amanda Nunes and you got Cyborg. Um, 
if you had to make a cross promotional fight, you know, if, if they starch their next three or four opponents, I think that would be a huge fight. Obviously, the first one ended quickly, but I still think those are your, probably your two greatest women fighter of all time when it's all said and done, Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I like Megan Anderson. I was kind of hoping she would get the next shot against um, Amanda just because you know she had a vicious knockout. Um, good on the mic. She's actually doing promotion or she's doing a uh, commentary stuff. Did you see that for Evicta? For Evicta. Yeah. I like her. I follow her on Instagram. She's solid. I mean, we get it, Parker. We know why you follow she's me. She's super Anderson hot. On she's, she's pretty hot. The Australian accent gets me every time, but, um, yeah, I think she's probably next for Amanda after she gets past Felicia Spencer. I don't know who else they're going to match her up with, but, um, your Kayla Harrison one. That's, Interesting. My dream, honestly, is I want a four four person tournament with you know after the Felicia Spencer fight, have Nunez versus Cyborg two, and then have uh, Kayla Hander- Kayla Harrison fight Megan Anderson, and then the the winners will fight of that tournament. That's my dream one hundred forty five pound tournament. PFL folds and the UFC signs Kayla Harrison. It's possible. Or- or they all go to Bellator and we go watch this tournament in Thackerville, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, we can drive 45 minutes. Let's go. All right. Stop at uh, Joe Exotic Zoo on the way. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into a solid division here. Uh, men's featherweight, current champ, Alex Volkanovsky. Um, a lot of good fights you could make here. Let's, let's dive into it. Um, I think you and I pretty much had the similar contender fights. I mean, I mean almost, you have to book you have to book yeah. Zombie against Brian Ortega now after the yeah. whole like rapper beef debacle. Um, it's called it's called K-pop, Billy. Yeah, whatever it is. Come on, yeah. After Brian Ortega slapped up a K-pop 127 pound K-pop star, you got to make Zombie versus Brian Ortega. That's a great fight. Um, I went back and watched Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. I forgot how good of a fight that was. That's Max crazy. Up Ortega. Yeah, but Brian Ortega is so tough and he's so dangerous. And yeah, I don't I don't know. I love him versus Zombie. Um I've been calling for this fight for probably a year. Yaya Rodriguez versus Zabit. I think Zabit is still he's still that guy in that division. He can do so much, and I don't think we've seen the ceiling of what he can do, not even close. Um, so I, I'd like to so see him in some I, main events. We watched uh, Zabit's debut together, and I told you, like, keep an eye on this Russian dude who looks like he just got out of bed. I I have swung completely the other way on Zabit, where after the, the Calvin Cater fight, I feel like he's wildly overrated now. I think Calvin Cater's underrated. Calvin Cater is going to be my dark horse, one of them. Um, I think that guy... His boxing and his durability, and I, if that fight went five rounds, Calvin Cater would have won that fight. And I, I think, agree. But I think Zabit slept on him a little bit. Is Calvin Cater? Are you definitively picking Calvin Cater over Brian Ortega? I'd watch that. I watched the shit out of that fight. I like Calvin Cater. He's. I think he's another one of these guys that he needs to be pushed a little more. But if you push it, put him in five round fights, you're gonna have absolute fucking wars. And I don't think big... Cater beats Ortega. I don't think he beats Zombie. I don't think he beats Max. And I don't think he beats Volkanovski. 
point, like, you're you're a good fighter. You're not a great fighter. And I agree with you that he would have beat Zabit. And, like, that's why I'm I'm down on Zabit. The biggest thing with Zabit is the cardio, I think. What we've seen from him is he fades. He, f- he faded a little bit in the Kyle Bokniak fight. He was fading big time in the Calvin Cater fight. But that dude's fucking talented. If he has a legit solid training camp he's ready for five rounds i i don't think we've seen what he's capable of i think he can pull off a lot in that octagon i don't know my so my two matchups i had cater versus jeremy stevens was supposed to happen on may 9th right that's a fucking banger of a fight they got a book zabit versus yair that's a that's a phenomenal fight it's phenomenal i think yair is a totally changed man um over the course of the past year with the whole Jeremy Stevens situation. I, 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 I am really high on Yair Rodriguez. I really want to see that fight. I just can't get over him getting abused by who, who abused him in Dallas. Frankie Edgar. Oh my God. That was one of the most vicious beatings I've ever seen in my life. Frankie just took him down, beat the living shit out of him. We were in uh, the building. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, so I mean we're on the same page. Those are the matchups that need to happen. Um, what's next for the champ? Um, I want to see the rematch, Max. So I, I went back and watched like the last three or four Max Holloway fights, and that that was not the Max Holloway that we've all grown to love in that Volkanovski fight. I, th- I think he just something was off. Something was off, or Volkanovski is just that good. But that that was not the Max Holloway that fought Dustin Poirier, Brian Ortega. I, I don't know. I, something was very off that where he just could not make adjustments and come back in that fight. I think Max has not looked great against Frankie and now Volkanovski. I think the flip side is like Volkanovski makes people look bad. Volkanovski made Chad Mendes look bad. He made Jose Aldo look bad and he made Max look bad. So maybe that's what he does. I'm fine with the Max rematch. I think it'll probably happen. But if, I, if I'm matchmaking, if I had the choice, I, I think Korean Zombie has done enough to fight for the title again. Yeah, but then what do you do with Max? Put him I on don't... the shelf. Max, Max has fought like a dog for years. Yeah. Like, Let him hang out on the beach in Hawaii for a little bit and then bring him back once, once that fight is all sorted out. Yeah, I, I also, I, I think once Khabib leaves the division at 155, I could see Max moving up to 155, too. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, so are we both on the same page? I, I think Max is going to get that rematch. He's, you know, He's going he to get it. Yeah. He's going to get think, it. I think so, too. Um, your dark horse of the division? So this I have is, two this here. is a segment is where, like a... where Billy Billy sucks off Fortis MMA for ten minutes. <laughs> you got to get a sponsor for Fortis MMA. Ugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the guy's name? Sife. Yeah. Give him a DM. Um, you know, sixteen and one overall, seven and zero in the UFC. Scheduled to fight Josh Emmett. Fight gets canceled. Not his fault. Uh, you know, one beat Nick Lentz, who's a tough guy. Um, beat Gilbert Melendez, who's a tough guy. Uh, you know, he's kind of got everything you look for in, in these like dark horse guys who are going to make a rise. He just needs to make a push and fight some tougher guys in the division. But 
he's never even really been challenged in that UFC cage. Like I've never watched an Arnold Allen fight and thought like, wow, Arnold's in trouble right now. Um, you know, British guy, really funny, great banter. Um, you know, hope he gets a shot. Second guy I really like, Sadiq Youssef. Yeah. Here's the part where I jerk off for his yeah. MMA for yeah. 10 minutes. Here we go. Um, but he's, look, he's 11-1 and one overall. He's 4-0 and oh in the UFC. He's got wins over Feely, uh, Andre Feely. He's got, you know, a very impressive win over Gabriel Benitez. Um, you know, the, the guy just, he kind of has it. He's got a ton of power for a guy who's 145 pounds. Um I really like it. I think he's a well-rounded fighter. I think he's really tough. He's got great striking, like all the Fortis guys have. Um, I I think he's a potential champion in this division. Um, I, I could even see them matching these two guys up and kind of seeing which which prospect turns out the best. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. Yeah, that was that was one that I was looking at when we were making these decisions. Um, Sadiq Yusuf, he's 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 the man, but. Um, Mine's Ryan Hall. For whatever reason, I think Ryan Hall gets overlooked because just how he looks. He looks like a Geek Squad employee. And he's just nasty. He's got nasty grappling. He's got a weird fighting style that's hard to predict, hard to just figure out. And no one wants to fight him. The guy just can't get fights. He's, I think he's undefeated in the UFC. He's beat Artem, the GOAT, Lobob. He's beat Gray Maynard. BJ Penn, Darren Elkins. He's now eight and one as a professional. And he's just a guy that I think for anyone, you know, outside of the top five, that's just a hard draw. Ryan Hall is just a super tricky guy. He trains with Faraz Sahabi. I I think part time and then where is he the rest? He splits he's his, got his own gym. Okay. In New York or something, maybe? Or California. Washington DC. Okay. He's a DC guy. Okay. I like Ryan Hall. I'm high on Ryan Hall. I, I watched his fight against Darren Elkins, and Darren Elkins was a guy that was making a push for the title at the time, and Ryan Hall just fucking schooled him. Darren Elkins had nothing for Ryan Hall. So Ryan Hall's um, my number one dark horse in that division. I think he gets slept on a lot. And then for me, Calvin Cater and Jeremy Stevens, I see those guys as pretty similar. I think both of those guys can go in and and – knock out anyone in the division, finish anyone in the division. They're very, very similar fighting style. Um, great, great. Calvin Cater has great hands. Jeremy Stevens just has vicious knockout power. He's been around forever. So those two guys are, are pretty even, I think, you know, in terms of being a dark horse. But those are guys that are right now probably one or two fights away from getting a title shot. So those are my two. Um, what's your super fights or do you have any super fights for this division? Keep keep the one forty fivers away from super fights. This division is super deep. Like there's yeah. plenty of compelling. We could do compelling fights for the next five years. Uh, yeah. With this division, why would you do a super fight? Who's your twenty twenty one champ? Mr. Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. I think he's clearly taken a, a leap in his striking. He's, Ooh, he's bold play. You know, All training right. full time. I I really like I really like his game right now. I. I want to see him fight. I think it's Max Holloway. I think Max Holloway is going to get that get that fight against Alex Volkanovski back. I think it's going to be a great fight. But I still think Max Holloway is the best featherweight on the planet. Um, when he's right, when he's Max Holloway, 
I don't think anyone can beat him. Um, so I'm going to go with Max Holloway. And that wraps up our deep dive, Corona deep dive through the lower weight classes. Next week, we'll be back to jump into the heavier weight classes. Um, as always, this is episode 31. So we're rolling them out. Like, subscribe, share it with your friends. All that good stuff. Billy, any closing words? Oh, no. We lost Billy, but we're going to end it here. Um, we'll be back next week, and we'll keep it rolling. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Parker's MMA Show, episode 31, signing out. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, and visit ParkerKeensMMAShow.Podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.